Welcome to another episode of Mr. Therapist and the Counselor Podcast, and we are the best mental health and recovery podcast. We want to invite you to listen. If you want to get some entertainment, some laughs, and if you want to know a little bit more about mental health, and we did miss, let's try this again, sorry, I I totally fucked it up, and weed, (laughs) welcome to another episode of Mr. Therapist and the Counselor Podcast. We are the best mental health and recovery podcast out there, uh, and our mission is to talk about recovery, mental health, demystify the, the process of therapy, so we invite you to listen. If you get any value from the show, share the show. Jesse O. This week, we're going to discuss the six type of roles in a dysfunctional family. We're going to talk about, this week, we're going to talk about six types of roles in a dysfunctional family. Very cool. Let's go. Here we go, here we go, we're back, another episode. Damn, um, am so I g- hey, I was just blowing my nose, uh, I don't have anything on my face or mustache. No, you're, you're, you're handsome as always, my Thanks, friend. Thanks, man. Um, you know, I told you this, I had uh, walking pneumonia. Yeah, you did. And then my Sounds daughter- Sounds like an old people sort of illness. Yeah, it's for the elderly, <laughs> and I am one of the elderly, so I'm feeling the- um, what is it? What they call the uh, <laughs> the, the age? <laughs> the age. I'm feeling the age. Yeah. So, um, but then I, my daughter got a cold, and then I got that cold. Like I just cannot recover. 2024, health wise, has not been good for me. Isn't that how it is though now with kids? Like, don't you just catch everything now? I think this is like my future, right? Yeah. So, you know, I just as Violet or my daughter one day will go to school. Uh, she will get like sick and then bring it home. So, yeah. my sister has two kids, and she talks about how she's like constantly sick so that's right okay so you haven't yeah because violet's not going yet so like you haven't experienced the germ uh, no you're germ mecca yeah you're a little bit more at ease with yeah, this yeah. i mean that's not the word but you know what you've, kind we've, of, you've experienced we've been in the game a little <laughs> yeah so it's crazy well i'm glad you're doing better than that you feel good you feel okay? i think right now i'm still a little congested you yeah, a little congestion yeah but i think that right now i'm I'm better than I felt in quite a while. There you so go. Finally on the mend. Very cool. um, but then watch, I'll catch COVID tomorrow. Yeah, so. yeah. I was worried about you, man. I Thanks, even, bro. I took your advice and yeah, I checked yeah. in on my homie. I sent yeah, you a text message. I know you said hey, you talked about getting senior care for me and stuff yeah. like that. I appreciate that. Yeah. What's been new uh, with you? Not much, dude. Got my uh, daughter's birthday coming up pretty soon here. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. By the time this airs, it would have passed already. So nice. thank you all for coming to that. Mm. Um, it was it, a banger. <laughs> it was so great. We partied crazy remember that one guy that <laughs> sent that text <laughs> that guy was rowdy uh, yeah he was a good guy at the end though yeah like, actually, yeah, I, actually, yeah. I liked actually, him a lot I, under- I actually sought him out i was like i want to talk to this guy <laughs> i'm so glad you guys came yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> you want to shout out the who's the shout jimbo jimba well jim harbaugh you want to shout him out uh, right hey, jim harbaugh welcome welcome to la buddy Welcome to San Diego. Oh, no, L.A. L.A. Chargers. Hey, it's okay. You can just call it the San Diego Chargers. I actually get really happy when uh, an announcer calls it, just like gets a Freudian slip and calls it San Diego Chargers. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. Takes it back. Yeah, exactly. You know your roots. Exactly. Yeah. So we're going to come back one day. But you want to shout out somebody else, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I wanted to shout out uh, Rachel. Rachel, my, my, hair, my hair engineer. 
Just a hair engineer. Say what? Yeah, so this uh, place called Dan Dank Cuts. <laughs> Dan's Cuts? <laughs> no. When, when, Dan's Dank Cuts? When my wife was looking for a a, a, a haircut place. Dan Cooks she's Cuts? She's like, hey, like this place is good. It's called Dan C. Cuts because they misspell it. Like, it's kind of a cool oh, thing. Oh, it's hip. Yeah, it's hip. Yeah, I love so hip. I was like, Dan C. I was like, Dan C. He's like really proud of mm-hmm. you know his name. You know, mm-hmm. Dan C. Cuts. Jesse O. Cuts. But it's Dank Cuts. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, Rachel. She listened to the show. She said you were. She was like, "Your your co-host is really funny." I was like, "Yeah, hell me, yeah, yeah, this guy, yeah, yeah. this guy, Jesse O, Jesse Otaka, the punk rocker." <laughs> yes. <laughs> so shout out to her, and um, I want to shout out who else do I want to shout Casey out? Casey and JoJo, and who else? Casey and JoJo, we love you. Um, All of Joe to see. Yes. R and B. Totally. And everyone else who's been commenting, who's been uh, on our posts, on our reels, yeah. been watching. Um, yeah, appreciate you all. For Real quickly, sure. before we go into the topic tonight or today and we start the clock, um, I wanted to bring up something we talked about in an earlier episode. I had mentioned Danny Masterson, who was on that 70s show. You watched that show, right? No. Never. Okay, good. Oh, actually, I have. Yeah, yeah. Come on. They, yeah, yeah. Fez. Re- yeah. yeah, Fez. Yeah, there you go. All, yeah. um, you Ashton Kutcher. Fez, right? Ashton Kutcher. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but like Ashton Kutcher was on the show, Mila Kunos. Um, but Danny Masterson, uh, he was on trial uh, last year in 2023. Which which uh, which uh, which character? guy? Yeah. Um, he had the guy with the curly hair and the chops. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm drawing a blank on that one, but um, he was on trial for um, sexual uh, abuse or, or raping um, two different people. Yeah. Um, he actually was convicted of it. Um, he's serving 30 years. Wow. And I was, this was I had, recent? recent. Yeah. Just this was last year, 2043. This yeah. happened. And I, uh, I, I, I wasn't really following the trial. I was watching. Yeah, actually, I guess it was bits and pieces here and there watching. Um, the thing that I wanted to bring up was that I knew that his wife, her name is Bijou Phillips. Um, she stuck with him the entire time throughout the um, the trial. But when he was convicted, um, I can't remember. It was right after he was convicted. I, September of 2023. I just found this out um, a couple weeks ago or a week ago because I saw that he tried to. Um, did you hear something? Yeah, I just gotta turn this off. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, uh, she, uh, what was I saying? He was convicted. And, yeah, uh, yeah. You can cut this out. Um, yeah. So he was convicted for um, the, the the rape uh, charges, but she stuck with him the entire time. Yeah. Um, well, I just found out about this a couple weeks ago because um, I guess he was gonna be given um. What's it? Not pardon. When is, whenever they're gonna give him like ba- bail, right? Bail, so, yeah. um, and the judge said no, like um, shut that down because she basically said. And then I found out she's like, your wife just recently divorced you. She filed full custody of their daughter. Uh, like you have no reasons that anybody to go to, and you would most have to be somebody who would want to flee the country, right? Yeah. And then I saw and I heard. I was like, oh wow, Bijou Phillips did file for divorce, um, and I thought, wow, I was like. She stuck with him during the entire trial, which I'm, you know, I'm not surprised because I think that maybe just based on like, you know, growing up and watching like maybe The Sopranos, like you stick with your partner sure. through thick and thin. But like, but she was out as yeah. soon as it was, it was like, I mean, for, for probably obvious yeah. reasons, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess that shows like how close family will stick with that. And that's, I guess, maybe yeah. the dysfunctional part of a family, right? We're yeah. supposed to stick with each other. Uh, don't make our our issues like public, um, but you said that made that made a lot of sense to you, right? Why she decided to like, you know, stick with him throughout the trial at least, right? In the sense, like I could totally see them because obviously she knew what was going on at some point, and then at some point decided it was 
sort of not a good idea to stay uh, in the relationship. Yeah. But I th- what I thought about was the um, the amount of pressure that maybe she was under with friends, with family members, with even the media, right? Of like, hey, you're still here. What does this mean about you? And so you could probably get attacked. And I so, mean, that's why I was kind of surprised she did because yeah. I feel like if any time to be like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not with yeah. you anymore, dude. Like yeah. this is serious. This is a serious accusation. Plus we have a daughter, yeah. but she stuck with him. So I, I was kind of like, I remember initially when I heard that, they were still together and she was supportive. I was somewhat surprised. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, and now that it's come out that she's not, that she did file for yeah. divorce. It kind of was like, okay, I could see why maybe she did that. So it's tough. Right? A lot of dysfunction maybe. Yeah. So starting the clock this week, um, we decided to talk about, I give you a good segue there. That was beautiful. <laughs> so smooth. Um, so this week, time sessions we're going to process family roles so yeah. let's talk about the family roles right um first i think that's important for the viewers let's walk down each family role there are six roles um in a dysfunctional family or in an addictive family whatever you want to call it yeah. um i mandy's going to just name off these six roles okay yeah, i'd like if we can let's maybe spend some time just describing dysfunctional family addictive family just is that okay just to start yeah. that off just because so every family has dysfunction right but like when things get really severe and when things get really, really, really dysfunctional to the extreme, there is evidence showing of like there's common family roles, a, a role that people play within the family that have been researched and they've been found. So that's what we're going to be talking about now. And yes, the, the, the perp- we'll talk about the purpose those roles kind of play. Um, but yeah, so listing those out. So, the, so the, this is going to be the six family roles, the traditional six family roles when it comes to dysfunctional families, addictive families. Go ahead and name those six off. We have the family hero. We have the mascot, the lost child, the enabler, and we have the dependent. And the scapegoat as well. And the scapegoat. Yeah, yeah. that would be the, your six right yeah, there. Yeah, there you go. I'm not good at counting, but I got you this time. And I'm not good at reading. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about, um, let, let's kind of go through each role and what that represents. Okay. Um, where do you want to start first? Um, do you have a preference? Uh, no, not at all. Well, I, mean, I think the easiest talking. one to talk about is the dependent, right? The dependent. The yeah. one that is the, the creator, the yeah. cause, I guess, of the, of. I, I would say maybe the, it's kind of weird, but I, it's, by the way, I want to give a shout out to Bev. Bev, my co uh, my co facilitator at Hogue Hospital, I learned a lot from you, Bev, and she was actually in charge of. Uh, we ran a family program in an addiction treatment center. She was in charge of teaching the family roles to the families, and she did a beautiful job. Do you remember this before? Sorry, I kind of yeah. like stop them before yeah. we get into it. Do you remember that we worked at a program in San Clemente? Yeah, we actually had a play. Oh we did, yeah, we did the six family roles, right? Yeah. Did you? Were you in that? I was. I was always a family hero. You were the family hero. Yeah. Do you remember you, what I was? You were the the mat. You were the 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 scapegoat. Yeah, sleepy. Yeah. It's sleepy. That's right. You were <laughs> med seeking. Very, very stereotypical too. <laughs> <laughs> the whole like. Well, you were tatted. You were like the only tatted up yeah, like, clinician. Yeah, yeah. So. And the top button. It was so. very. I just actually, went. I went like full De Niro in character, yeah. but. We even did that, so that that was like we and we had a family program there and other programs we worked yeah. that we've had family. And I program. feel like I was best dressed, so it was like you got to be the hero. You yeah, know? you got to so be the hero. <laughs> you're like the golden child. But so let's talk about first yeah. the let's talk about the dependent. Right, shout out to I mean, Carmela, <laughs> the the dependent, the addict. Um, they're kind of the the addict. I would say the mo- uh, the most quoting Bev. The most dysfunctional person in the family, I would call them, right? Okay. And it could be an addict when there is addiction in a family, but it could also be the the symptomatic person if we're talking about chronic anxiety, chronic depression, 
um, chronic trauma, right? Like the, this is the that person. The dependent is the most uh, dysfunctional person, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next one is the family hero. Um, I, I've heard about these roles, like I said, for quite a while, but there is some different, a little bit different interpretation. So I would like to ask you, what is your interpretation of the family hero? So the family hero <coughs> is the one that is the trophy, I guess, the trophy family member. They are on the outside. They're doing very well. They probably either, if they're in school, they're probably in a really good school, getting good grades, excelling. Um, if they're working, they probably have a really good profession. Um, they probably, they, they get their shit done. They, you know, the family highly approves of the, of the family hero. Another thing about the family hero that's important to bring up, I think, is that sometimes the family hero is the one that is almost kind of pretending like things are okay. Yeah. Like if I do this, if I make good grades, if I'm the quarterback of the football team, like people won't look inside my family. They'll think from the outside because I'm, I'm achieving so well, this individual, like they won't see the dysfunction within. So yeah. it's like this, you know, it's kind of like that's why often when I meet a client and they seem like that A-plus student or that that star athlete, you're like, you know, I think it's a stereotype of like, you don't have any problems. Yeah. Look at you. You look great. But and that's why, you know, there's that presentation. But also with the, the family hero, and I've heard it almost called like the golden child as, child as well, is that like there's also a sense of perfectionism. Like they have to achieve these standards so high. Yeah. And if they falter, that's where you could see a lot of like that person carrying a lot of stress and maybe some hidden anxiety as well. Yeah. yeah well, I think the family hero he feels, you know, he feels proud of he or himself, she, yeah. or she feels proud of himself or herself, um, and their accomplishments because the people that are telling them they're doing a good job is the people in the dysfunctional family, right? And and then the outside people who kind Can of you say that again. The people, the, the 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 criteria he's he's going by if he's doing a good job or not is set by the family. So the family is sort of like the ones that are praising him and saying you're doing a good job mm -hmm. and behaviorally sort of uh, conditioning him to feel good that he goes to school, to feel good that he has a good job, to feel good that um, he's the one that they go to for support, right? And yeah. so um, so I guess what I'm saying is like you, the reason why it's on the outside and not on the inside that they feel good is because it's not really by their own standards. They're trying to just keep the family happy. You yes, know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So next one uh, is the mascot. Uh, what is the mascot? The mascot is the I would say the jokester of the family. Yeah, the funny one, yeah, right? The funny I think one. They call the mascot sometimes the clown, right? Is that correct? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, it's I such think a harsh word. But no, yeah. I, I mean like this is like, and these are old traditional. Um, I don't know what year it came out, but I remember it being the kind of the clown of the family yeah. in the sense like they are deflecting the real problems and maybe the issues they're even dealing with, right? They're using humor. Uh, they're almost using that Robin Williams syndrome as they perform and they present and make a joke out of everything, but deep down inside, they know it's problematic. They know there's troubles, there's dysfunction, yeah. but... Um, they, ease, they ease the tension in the family through yeah. jokes too, right? right? Like yes, they kind exactly. of, when things are super tense, they've learned to be super hypersensitive about that and they've learned how to, how do I ease this? How do I let the air out of the balloon a little bit? I've heard also too the mascot and the next thing that we talk about the lost child a lot of times would be that, maybe that middle child or maybe that younger, the baby of the family as well. Sure, so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the next one, you want to talk about the lost child? Lost child. So the lost child is, I'm quoting Bev here again because she does a beautiful job of uh, saying this. The lost child is the one you don't ever have to worry about. 
the child who's quiet, who doesn't complain a lot, who doesn't ask a lot of you. Um, and you're kind of thankful openly about having this child because, man, like they, we have a lot to worry about except for this child. And so we're really great, grateful for that. However, the lost child has a lot of needs that always go un, unexpressed. And uh, that comes with a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, yeah, the lost child as well, kind of like just under the radar, um, not one to speak up, completely different from the mascot. Yeah. A lot of times, too, I think it's the middle child, younger child. Um, but yeah, there's also an underlying concern. Um, once again, they're still in the family. Yeah. They're seeing the dynamics, the dysfunction. They're impacted, but... They go inside. Yeah, yeah. And so. they can actually, they tend to develop a lot of chronic illnesses yeah. uh, because of that suppression of emotion. Right. Next one is a scapegoat, or a.k.a. the old black sheep, which I tend to... You ever notice how people will say, I'm the black sheep of, of the family, the black sheep of the family? And when they say that, I, I often will respond with like, did you give yourself that role, that title? Because a lot of times we feel like we're out of step with the world. So it's like we might as well be like, hey, we are different. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be the black sheep of the family. We create this almost like role for us. So we sure. have some kind of a established role to have, at least in the family. So yeah, you can be created to by the family. Like, you know, okay, why yeah. can't you be more like your brother? You know, yeah. why? Yeah. Like, we don't ever have to deal with with anybody else but you. Like, it's always you. Like, the, those narratives can create this feeling of that for you. I think the scapegoat too, I don't know specifically, like I think that could be the oldest child, that could be the youngest child. I think there's any type of combination there. Whoever's like, maybe the whoever's doing well in the family, that scapegoat might feed off of that energy negatively and that yeah. might be created by like mom, dad, whoever. So I think the scapegoat is the one who the family will project all of their anger and frustration with everything else happening onto the scapegoat. So Scapegoat you know, probably has the best musical taste too, wouldn't you say? Probably. They're yeah. very handsome. Got a good mustache. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the last one, um, talk about the enabler a little bit. Uh, the enabler, um, we'd always paint the enabler um, as the, the, you know, if we had like a, a, a regular American family, right? It's like husband, wife, three kids, uh, three kids being the family here, the mascot, the lost child and scapegoat or four kids. Um, and then the, the addict or the, the uh, the dependent would be the husband and then the wife is the enabler that's how we would depict it very traditional is it right with uh the modern society i don't know well you know you could easily flip the roles yeah i totally. most definitely have seen like working in, in the field of addiction and mental health i've seen where the husband is the enabler and then the wife is yeah. the dependent yeah. the addict or whatever so totally yeah. so the the enabler is the codependent pretty much right they they are very codependent on relationships. They're always um, looking to fix uh, uh, other people. Um, it's hard for them to really find self-confidence if they're not having someone that they're attending to or fixing, yeah. uh, which can be very unhealthy, uh, very st stress-induced type of living. Uh, and so they're the ones that are kind of making sure that everything looks okay on the outside. We've never had an episode on codependency here on Mr. Therapist yeah. and the Counselor, and we're not going to go into it right now, but I think when you say the word codependency, a lot of people have heard it. They don't really know what that means, and there's a lot of like different interpretations, but could I ask you, what is your definition, your personal definition of what codependency is? I think, uh, I, I think about boundaries, like someone who's not able to... Um, have boundaries between themselves and relate and, and people or, or things around them. Uh, so someone who is not able to let somebody go or 
recognize when they they can no longer help or recognize when they need to step away from a relationship because it's unhealthy for their their them so someone who's not really um able to execute boundaries i would say great so we want to talk about so we talked about we introduced all six roles kind of like took a look inside of all six of these here um you want to talk a little bit more about how the roles are intended to keep the system dysfunctional. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess maybe I could start asking you, like, why do you think this is important to, for people to know? Because like, they teach this in treatment centers all the time, yeah. addiction treatment centers. Mm-hmm. Like, why do you think it's important? I think it's important because um, how do we deal with that one individual? Yeah. And, and why I want to say this, too, before I answer the question fully, is that the roles can rotate. Um, it's not that like if you're the family hero, you're always the family hero. People do like change off on different roles. So, yeah. um, but I think it's important to know, to to illustrate, to identify like where everybody's at and how we can like improve the family system, right? Yeah. Like how we can change the dysfunction. Like, sure, you're you've created this role, been pushed into this role because of. Maybe that one person. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know the, the dependent, the addict. But if we identify these roles, there's importance. There's 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 hope for growth. I think in yeah. knowing these roles, right? Yeah. I mean, any thoughts? Any yeah, I think thoughts on that? I I I'm, as you're answering, I'm thinking about that question too. Um, and I think it's important because we want people. We want you to know that, like, if you are in a dysfunctional family system, uh there's some accountability you have to keeping that dysfunction together, you know? And the sooner that you recognize some of the unhealthy ways that you're keeping the dysfunction going, um, and it's not supposed to be in a mean way or in a, a, make you feel bad about that, but just to take accountability because you, that's a good, that's good news. That means that you can change, uh, the dysfunction as well. You can make it less dysfunctional. It's just really hard, but, um, and, and that could segue us into just, you know, the how this is supposed to keep the dysfunction within the system uh, consistent is, yeah, every every single person that we just listed plays a role to keep the person who is the sickest person, the dependent person, sick, right? And to enable them to continue uh, behaviors. And I want to distinguish because there are, there are uh, people and family members out there who are depressed, who are anxious, who are maybe over drinking and... You know, I'm not trying to be hard on them and be like, oh, we're keeping them and we're keeping them sick and we got to do boundaries and kick them out of the house. But over time, if you've been trying to help this person, nothing's getting better um, and it's causing so much tension for the family where you guys are fighting, you're unhappy, you're not talking. There's no there's no realness in the family. There's something dysfunctional that we have to address and we have to change. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I had like two thoughts uh, briefly, but one thing I, I was—it's interesting because I've worked in these um, programs, these systems where a lot of times they'll have a family program, and we're almost forcing families. You know, they can decide if they want to attend, but almost forcing families to be involved in this and treat it. It most definitely needs to be treated. I was wondering sometimes. I feel like just from my own personal experience of talking to different therapists, like. You know, when you're when you're working on um, somebody who is an addict, a lot of times you want to work on yourself before you address like relationship issues and, and goals there or family issues, right? I, sometimes it's almost like it's almost like this like expedient exercise to get family involved. Like I yeah. think it's important to, to educate the family, 
But I think my, my personal thought on this is that like, um, if you are a person that is like working on your own recovery, mental health or addiction, I think it's most definitely key. You could disagree with me on that. Is like to address your own issues first. Yeah. Because because family can be huge triggers, right? Like they can, or even tra- you know traumatic experience and, and bring things up that you're not ready to deal with and talk with. So, and um. And Are you I, saying that like family members who like if there's an addict in the family, to just focus on themselves versus focusing yeah maybe on initial the I think initially a lot of times and once again I've worked with programs that are designed to be like hey we should have a family program because family most definitely like families probably sit on interventions they want to like they want to get some tools yeah. themselves right they want to be educated they need support they're usually the most invested right people. exactly <laughs> yeah so like they I understand why there's there's that need for it but it's not a quick fix yeah it's, it's something not. that the person the individual mental health addiction they have to work on their stuff first and then over time like yes introducing the family to it is important but like recognizing like there's a lot of work within you've got to do for yourself before you're ready for this family work sometimes another another purpose of these roles i think is to it you know and we talked about keeping the family sick i'm going to use those words yeah keeping it dysfunctional um if one of one of the people in the family try to get smart or try to like change the system, what tends to happen all of the times is everybody in the family will turn against that individual. That's why it's so hard to change, to create change. They'll turn to you because you're 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 bringing the the system out of balance, and you bringing the system out of balance keeps people from being able to hide their own contributions to keeping the family system. So usually, and and it's actually kind of cool on my side as a therapist, when somebody comes in because their family is in a dysfunction, maybe they're not the alcoholic, maybe they're the mascot, the, the family hero, you start educating them about what's going on. They start to see and connect the dots as to like, wow, like it's so crazy how we're all keeping this going. They'll start to change their behavior all of a sudden, their stress, their anxiety, and their symptoms of depression go up because they'll start to speak up for themselves. They'll start to call shit out for what it is, and everyone starts to turn turn on them. and And it sucks. It's very it's a very lonely process to be the one to lead the way to change your family. Um, and so, I think it's it's important to find support if you if you tend on doing that. Yeah, um, we're getting close here to closing it out here. Um, we do we discuss like how to get out of these roles like how i mean we kind of just we cover that pretty much right is there anything else you'd like to add to that like how do we get free from breaking? i think i think it starts from recognizing what these roles are yeah. getting some help for yourself go to therapy um attend a uh an al-anon meeting maybe even attend a, a family support group um i think uh a good book that you can start reading is uh, john bowlby on the family uh talks about these family roles um that's that would that would be the first step, yeah, for sure. I just want to share a personal experience on on like the family roles, and it kind of relates to that. But like, I remember growing up, um, I had a friend in high school. Her name was Amber George, and I remember like years later, she was asking about my family, and um, she told she said this this statement to me that really stuck with me, and I think it really resonates with our topic in family roles and like keeping these things hidden and keeping our sick secrets uh, safe but it keeps us sick is that like she said you know you were you're you were always so secretive about things mm. and I and you know like she said something along the lines of like 
never really knew what was going on with you. And I realized like I was trained in some ways not to talk about certain things because there was so much dysfunction going on. I was scared to like be honest and, and be forward on like what, what I was going through. Part of it is like, I didn't know how to deal with it and cope with it being a teenager. But like, um, I think I, I, throughout my life and my experiences, like that's what I've met. I've met so many people that are like, how do I like, I, I don't want to expose my family. Like family is like all I have. And, um, you know, it's to bring stuff to light. Like, you know, you don't share family secrets. We're right. a family that keeps quiet. So, but I hope that like where we're at today, we realize that some of these secrets within the family, they just continue to keep us sick and we can like break away from that and change, change that yeah, narrative. So. For sure. And you, I, I love the, that she took initiative in asking you about your family. I feel like if you're in a family where shit just feels weird, it feels fake, it feels tense, you're probably in a dysfunctional family. Yeah. And doing a little bit of research as to like what other families kind of look like, you know, what um, even your even distant families that you that you might be connected to or, or really close friends that you have, I think just to get you an idea of like, is this is this normal? Is this, you know, and every every everyone has a just dis, some dysfunction in their family. But but for some families, it's super it's super dysfunctional. It's to the extreme. So you got to find a way to. Take the what do you call it? Like open up the stage, take the 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 blinders off, right? Because that's kind of what it is. You're just blinded to this is normal. Yeah, monkey's out of the box. Yeah, that's not actually the saying, but Loki is out of the box. So no, monkey's out of the box. Oh, monkey's out of the box. <laughs> that's like from Pineapple Express. Anyways, um, <laughs> we're gonna end on that one. Thank you.